Pray with me. Father God, thanks so much. Thanks that um, we're just reminded this morning as we worship you that you are a God who is alive, a God who is aware, uh, a God who cares. Uh, and Father, I know for me, a lot of times I go through the week, it's easy for me to forget that. It's easy for me to, uh, to not see that. So I thank you for the reminder, both from life and from your word, that uh, you stepped into history, you died for us, you gave your son for us, you proved your love for us. So we just pause to thank you for that. We just pause to say thank you that you really loved us and you love this world enough to take action. Uh, thank you for the life you give us through Christ. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Open your Bibles. We're going to go to what passage, Kevin? Uh, the end of the sermon is going to be Revelation 5. Revelation chapter up. 5. Okay, great. We can yeah. go there. But the cool thing is you don't have to listen to me this morning. Can I hear an amen? Okay, you can act excited about that. No, we're real privileged this morning. I want to invite up my friend Kevin, Kevin Compline. Kevin and I met for the first time. Uh, well, we met the first time briefly a few years ago, but more uh, the more fun experience was this past July. Uh, when Becky and I went to uh, Kinshasa, Congo, it was Kevin and his wife, Becky. We both are privileged to marry Becky's. Right. Good choices, right? That's, right. That's, That's right. right. But Kevin has been a pastor for 12 years in Minnesota. After that, another 12 years, he wised up like I did, moved west to California, uh, to San Jose, and pastored up there, had a great church, great ministry going. And then Kevin developed a heart for Africa. And uh, out of that heart has transitioned now uh, to be the uh, director of the uh, of the Africa uh, mission for the Evangelical Free Church, our denominational affiliation called Reach Global, and that, and Kevin was an incredible help to Seacoast in helping us get our leadership material translated. In fact, uh, the Free Church helped finance the translation into uh, Congolese French uh, so that we could teach that leadership material this past year. So really do appreciate Kevin. Kevin was kind enough, he and Becky, to come down and spend a few days with us, and we asked him to share with you this morning. So Kevin, welcome. Would you welcome Kevin with me? Thank huh? you. Thank Thanks. Thank you. Let me pray. Can I pray for you? Yeah. Father God, thanks so much uh, for Kevin and Becky. Thank you for their family. Thank you for their heart for you. Uh, thank you for his uh, great years of experience as a pastor. And Father, thank you for the heart that he brings uh, uh, in this role of leading us uh, as a movement of churches in what we're doing in Africa. So I just really pray, thank you for the privilege of having Kevin with us here at Seacoast and for our friendship and Pray that you would challenge us through him and make him feel at home this morning in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Well, first, let me bring you greetings from our brothers and sisters in Christ in Africa. Because, you know, wherever I travel, whether it's from the West and countries like uh, Sierra Leone and Liberia, all the way through to the East and places like Kenya and Tanzania, wherever, whenever I am with believers... They say, when you go back to America, would you please greet our brothers and sisters there? Because, and please tell them, we know, had there not been people from America and Europe that came to Africa, we never would have heard the gospel. And tell them, thank you. And tell them, we pray for you. 
Now, you may not believe that church in Africa prays for the church in America because we tend to think, well, we need to pray for them. My friends, they pray for us. And many of my friends that are leaders in Africa say, we know it must be hard to be a Christian in America. And so they pray for us. Receive their greetings, would you? Because they love, they love the church here so much and what God has done. But you know, when I think of what's going on around the world, and when we just consider what you read about in the news, I mean, isn't it true that as you listen to the, to the radio, you watch television, there is not much of a sense that there's hope anywhere in the world. And there's just one mess after another mess after another mess that's going on. And I, t- I need to be really honest with you today, a lot of those messes are in Africa. And I have people that say, all right, why would you invest time, money, and energy in a place that seems to be a mess? Well, friends, the truth is that God is doing some incredible things around the world and in Africa that you're never going to hear on the news. There are things that you won't hear no matter what news source you listen to, you won't hear them, but God is involved doing it. Now this picture, you may have seen something like this on some newscasts about the Ebola virus outbreak in West Africa. These countries, Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Guinea. Now what you don't hear is that four years prior to the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, our partners, of our church partners, in fact, is called Evangelical Free Church of West Africa. They began to do ministry among refugees from Ivory Coast, Guinea, and people that were fleeing civil war in that whole region. And they began to do ministry among unreached Islamic peoples. Sharing with them the Gospel, sharing with them the love of Christ, and in refugee camps, hundreds began to come to Jesus. And they began then to invest in their lives as training them as leaders and discipling some of them. I was privileged to go with some of our partner leaders to do church planning training among some of these now Christians who were former followers of Islam. Civil war ended and the conflicts ended in that part of the world and all of these folks went home. And do you know what they did? They planted churches. And they planted churches in areas that had been unreached. Then three years later, Ebola breaks out. Do you know what's happened? What's happened is that Ebola, some of the worst hit areas of Ebola, were in the very communities that these new churches had been planted in. And it's through the church that the ministry of the love of Jesus and good community health practice was brought into these villages. And what's going on today? People are coming to Christ. Churches are being planted. The Gospel is being spread. People's lives are being changed. And what do we hear about? The tragedy of Ebola. And it is. More than 20,000 people affected and close to 9,000 deaths that we know of. It's terrible. And yet, in the midst of the tragedy, God is at work. I could tell you stories from places like Nigeria and northern Cameroon where an outfit called Boko Haram is operating a week ago this weekend, they took over a village and killed up to 2,000 people. Innocent people. But in that same region of Africa, we're hearing from our staff and partners that more people are coming from, a, from their worldview and faith in Islam into trusting Jesus and becoming full followers of Jesus Christ than they have ever seen in the last 50 plus years. It's in the midst of difficulty. Now in that, as I think about what God is up to, I, I want to take you on a little bit of an overview today. 
I wish I could put you all in one of these hot air balloons and we could kind of go up and we could float over and you could see Africa. But before we see Africa, we're going to go on sort of two rides today. The first ride is an overview of the Scriptures because it's really important that we understand God's heart for the nations of the world. Uh, unless we understand that, the idea of bringing the Gospel around the world, it's a nice concept. But we want to talk about what is God's heart for the nation. So we begin with this simple truth. And that is that this is God's mission from beginning to end. This idea of taking the Gospel and bringing it to people that have not heard, it's God's mission from start to finish. And we're going to look at several Scriptures together. They'll be on the screens behind me so you can follow along quickly with me on this, on this overview. We're going to start, not in Genesis, we're going to start in the book of Ephesians. Because I love what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1 where he said, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. You see, God's plan to redeem and bring back broken people began way before even creation. He chose us before the creation of the world. God had a plan. Well, that brings us to the book of Genesis because in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 we find this concept, God created all of what we know. The heavens and the earth and all of the sea creatures and all the birds and all the animals and then finally He created human beings. And in that perfect creation that God made, God intended Adam and Eve, whom He created, to live in a right relationship with Him and a right relationship with each other and in a right relationship, in a sense, how they saw themselves, and in a right relationship with all of His creation. And at the end of that creation narrative, it says that God looked, and it was very good. So God's intention is that we would live in relationship with Him, with each other, with ourselves, and with His creation. Well, then we come to Genesis chapter 3. And there's the fall. And Satan came in the form of a serpent and he tempted Eve and Adam to disobey God. And his words that just gripped their hearts, he said, God knows that the day you eat of this fruit of the tree that He told you not to eat, He knows the day you eat of that, you're going to be like Him. You're going to be like God. You'll know good from evil. And they looked at the fruit and they said, hey, this looks pretty good. And probably the underlying concept is, and being like God looks pretty good. That sounds like a pretty good deal. And so they took and ate. And if you read the rest of Genesis chapter 3, what you'll find is that that act of disobedience and rebellion, it fractured and distorted and broke the relationship they had with God, the relationship they had with each other, because when God came down in the cool of the day and said, where are you? Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent. It affected everything. It affected how they saw themselves. Do you remember what they did? They were ashamed. And so they sewed fig leaves to make some clothing and they hid. And it brought the toil of their labor in God's creation. That whole fall, it affected their relationship with God, with each other, with themselves, and with what they do. 
And so you read from that on in the next chapters of Genesis and you'll find that a brother kills another brother. And then life becomes so difficult on, on the earth that God finally says there's so much, so much sin. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to destroy everything. So he takes Noah and his family and he has them build an ark and he puts them in it and he saves them. And out of that time, we get to the end of that particular situation in Genesis chapters nine, chapter 9, the end of the story of the ark. And God starts over again with Noah and his family. And then we come to chapter 11. Now, chapter 11 of Genesis is one we may skip over real quickly. It's a Tower of Babel, right? Oh, as a kid, I love that. I mean, that story is kind of cool. All these people get together and they're going to build this big tower out of bricks and, 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 and tar pitch instead of, instead of mortar and they're going to build this. But what I missed is that the intent of the people was to say, God had told them, be fruitful and multiply and just would you, would you go out to the whole earth And would you steward what I've created? And the people said, no, we're not going to go anywhere. We're going to stay here because, you know what, if we all stay together, then if we couldn't be God alone in the Garden of Eden, maybe we can kind of organize and control things ourselves. And God says in Genesis chapter 11, He looks down and He says, no, you're not going to do that. And the Scripture says in Genesis 11 that He came down and He confused their languages. In other words, in Genesis chapter 11, God created the nations of the world. No, not the geopolitical nations we know today, but really the nations that the biblical concept is the people groups. So could you imagine coming to work one day? You've been doing this huge construction project. You come and you're going to work in your area of the construction project. You get there and you can't talk to the people you're working with because they're speaking another language. And so eventually they gravitated to the people that spoke the same language. And the Scriptures tell us they went sort of from one place to the next... And they settled in different areas and the very language groups and people groups of the world were formed out of God's moving in the people's lives because of sin. Now you may go, wow, that's terrible. But I want you to see the Scripture that's on the screen behind me. Because the very next chapter, in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to this man Abram and He gives him a promise. And he says, Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's all the people groups. That's all those those very nations that God had just created after the Tower of Babel. He said, I haven't forgotten about them. And in fact, Abram, it's through you that I'm going to bless all of the peoples of the earth. And that's that promise that ultimately leads us to Jesus. And so we find even God's intention for the nation of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, God says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. What's God's intention for Israel? Not that they would take the truth of His salvation and His love and hold it to themselves, but that they would take it and they would share that message with the nations of the world. The people groups, the languages, the cultures. God created the nations. He promised a blessing for them. His focus for His people, Israel, is that they would bring the message to the nations. And it doesn't end in the Old Testament. You see, after Jesus came and walked the earth, at the end of His life, He gathered His disciples 
And he said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of what? Of all nations. It's the same word. It's the people groups. God said, every every ethnic group of people in the world, I want to see the message of the Gospel go to them. And so Jesus then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He says to His disciples again, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where to the ends of the earth. Now it doesn't just stop with Jesus saying, hey, this is what I want you to do. Because in your Bibles, you'll see in the very next chapter, in Acts, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, as Jewish people from all over the then known world were in Jerusalem. And the disciples are in an upper room and they're waiting for this promise that Jesus said was coming. And while they're there, and we read in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descended upon them with great power. And they began to speak in other languages other than what they knew. And you know what the languages were? They were the languages of the very people that were in the city. Because God said, today's the birthday of the church and I want all these people from all these language groups to hear the message of the Gospel in their heart language. It's it's not just that He said, yeah, you need to go and and bring this message to people. Jesus said, and I I love in Acts 2, verses 5 and 6, where it says, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking what? In his own language. My friends, from the beginning of time, God's had a heart to have a people for Himself. He created the nations of the world. He promised right after He would bless them. And His whole theme of His working in the history of the nation of Israel and of the church has been to bring the message of the Gospel to every people and nation in the world. You see, it's God's mission from beginning to end. But I just want you to see this morning that God has a huge heart for the nations of the world. And we're in the midst of one of the most incredible times where the ministry and the message of the Gospel is going forth around the world to people that have never heard. And another thing that I find is really exciting, God's bringing the peoples of the world to us. I grew up in a little tiny town in northern Minnesota where it was 27 degrees below zero last week. And as a friend of mine who grew up with me said, it's a good place to be from. But in my little hometown in northern Minnesota, do you know what's being... There's a ministry that started through an EV free church there? To Liberian students that are studying nursing in a community college. The nations are coming to us and we get an opportunity to go to the nations in ways that we have never seen before. I mean, the opportunities are incredible. And the scene. I mean, I love this passage from Revelation chapter 7 where where John writes and he says, After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. And do you see where they're from? from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And what are they doing? They're standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. These are people that have been redeemed through the work of Jesus from every tribe and language and people 
a nation. I love the fact that God has a huge heart for the world. You see, from the beginning to the end, it's God's mission. He has an enormous heart for the nations and the peoples of the world. And now I want to put you in another hot air balloon. Can I do that? We're going to go on another little overview, okay? And it's a bit of an overview of some of what God's doing in Africa. Because you see, Africa is a huge place. You know, you went to school, if you went to school like I did, and there was a world map on the wall, I just need to break it to you, it wasn't accurate. Because it's very difficult to be able to put a sphere on a flat surface. And do you know what got shrunk down often in those maps? The continent of Africa. It was the black continent in a sense. They didn't know what was going on in the center in the early days. So they sort of shrunk it down. You can put on the continent of Africa the U.S., Argentina, New Zealand, India, Europe, China, and still have room left over. Dale talked about going to Congo. Dale and Becky, with Becky and I in Kinshasa. Do you know in the country of Congo, second largest country geographically in Africa, if you were to go from the far northeast corner to the far northwest corner, excuse me, to the far southeast corner of Congo, it would be like going from Minneapolis, Minnesota to Orlando, Florida. And there are less than 500 miles of paved road in the entire country including the capital city of Kinshasa, which is 12 million people. How do you get places? And yet the truth is, the gospel is, being, is spreading in that country in significant ways. And God's opening doors, I'll talk with you about in just a few moments there, but I want you to see it's a very, very large place. And it's a complicated place. 2,100 different languages, 35 different people groups. Some of my African friends, I have a good friend, his name's Nubako Salinga. Dale and Becky met him. He's our staff member there in Kinshasa. Salinga learned English using Rosetta Stone on his computer. I always tell him he should be, a, he should like do a commercial for Rosetta Stone. His English is really quite good. English was his fifth language. Because he had the tribal language he grew up with, the trade language he used out on the street. And then he had to learn French when he went to school. And his wife was from a different tribe, so he learned her tribal language. And then he learned English. And I looked at him and I said, you are like way smart. I could never do that. You see, it's a complicated place. But it's also an unreached place. Did you know that there are more than than three-fourths the size of the population of the United States? that have no indigenous church close enough to them where they would ever have an opportunity to hear the gospel. Over 260 million people. That's a quarter of the people that live on the continent. Unreached. There are significant segments of Islamic peoples and animistic tribal peoples. And in the east of Africa, there's, there are Hindu peoples. Folks that have no opportunity to hear the gospel. In fact, I was in, I was in the capital city of Yaoundé, Cameroon in, in Central Africa, one o'clock in the afternoon in one of the large markets in one of the largest Islamic sections of the city. And the call to prayer came out at one o'clock and the market shut down and ev- literally everyone except the group I was with 
they pulled out their, their prayer rugs, they rolled them out, they all faced Mecca, and for the next number of moments they were on their knees all praying together across this market. I'd never seen that anywhere else in Africa. And that presence is growing. But you see, what we often see is the, the brokenness, the poverty, the pain. And in that great opportunities to be able to bring the compassionate, caring love of Jesus... Pastor Dale was telling me a little bit about, uh, I saw that at the Africa uh, image there on the wall, about the new ministry that you've launched into this year, of working with World Relief, and really being able to bring the compassionate care of Jesus to those who are broken in pain and poverty. And that's sharing the love of Christ. It's everywhere on the continent. Do you know how young Africa is? These numbers astound me. 44% of the population of Africa are under the age of 16. 76% are under the age of 30 or younger. And historically, the church in Africa has done very little in the area of ministry to children. And a part of what we've been doing in a place like Kinshasa and Congo, we're partnering together with a ministry, with Awana International, a ministry called Kids Around the World, to develop an orality-based, an oral culture-based children's ministry that's just been launched within the last year, right in the city of Kinshasa. And, and they've trained about 400 leaders, and they've started dozens of groups. And the last that I heard, over 16,000 children have heard the gospel in the last four months. Somebody finally were saying, we need to reach these kids. It's a young place. But it's a place that's been ruled by difficult people. Like King Leopold, who set up his own personal kingdom in what is now the Democratic Republic of Congo. He owned the whole thing himself. And he enslaved and beat people. He was followed by someone like Mobute Sese Seiko, who again ruled with an iron hand for 30 plus years. And yet in the midst of that, God has sent some incredible people. The man on the photograph behind me, his name is Titus Johnson. Titus went to Congo first time, began to share Jesus with unreached tribal people groups, began to train leaders, and then he said, you know, there's a huge need for compassion needs here. He came back to the United States and went to medical school because he said, there's, there's a medical need here. And he pioneered for, for our mission, so much of what God's been doing for almost a hundred years in that country because people cared in the midst of brokenness. And out of what started in one country today through Reach Global, these are the countries that we have spiritual influence in. We only have staff in six of those countries because what God's doing today is through partnerships. God's raising up national leaders all over the world. And we see it in Africa over and over and over again. He's doing some incredible things in Africa today. Just amazing things. I just got this report at the end of, the end of December. That over the course of this last year, this is just through... Are, are primarily our partners, our Reach Global staff and partners, and you can multiply that many times over with our other mis- missions and ministries that we work with. These are just our partners and, and, and people like Pastor Dale and the teams here from, from your church that have gone into places like Tanzania where we work and Congo and have done training 
that just this past year, 4,000 leaders were trained and we saw over 775 churches planted, mostly among unreached people. I sit back and I go, that, that's incredible of what God is up to. In a place where mostly what you hear on the news is Ebola and terrorism and corruption. And guess what? Ebola, terrorism, and corruption is in Africa. But so are thousands, many young leaders within the church and people who are longing to go after those unreached people I talked to you about a few moments ago. I really believe this is an unprecedented time, in, in, at least in our lifetime, and probably in the history of the church, to be able to see the Gospel impact a continent like Africa. And I also need to tell you, everywhere I go in Africa, not only do I see opportunities for the Gospel to expand, but there are other countries around the world who want a piece of the economics in Africa that are going on. And there are, there, are, there are Chinese folks all over Africa, everywhere I go. I mean, it's just incredible, the number of, of folks from China that are there and the influence of China. But I had the opportunity last fall actually to be in Asia and to do training of over 300 Africans studying to be medical doctors and businessmen and women who are all believers and who want to go back home to reach their continent for Christ. How in the world does it work that you go to Asia to speak to university students that are from Africa, that are going home, that will have the potential to be tent-making missionaries and church planters? That's what God's up to. Incredible stuff. I'd, I'd encourage you, grab your Bible. There's two Scriptures I really want to go a little deeper in the next few moments with you on, and they really come out of first, Second Corinthians chapter 5. Because there's two main ideas I really want you to see here out of this passage. And in Second in Corinthians chapter 5, Paul starts in verse 6, in verse, uh, I'm going to start in verse uh, 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That it is in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I love the two main ideas that I want you to think about with me out of this passage, is that God is at work reconciling the world to Himself in Jesus. He's in, it's the message of the Gospel. It's taking people whose lives have been broken. You remember I said that in, in, in Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2, God created Adam and Eve to live in a right, right relationship with Him, 
with each other, with themselves, and with His creation. God is saying, I sent Jesus my Son to live a sinless life, to die, to rise again, so that you could have, be restored in that right relationship with Me. And then out of that, what I call the, the, the transformational implications of the Gospel is that it changes our relationship with each other. It changes how we look at ourselves. It changes how we look at what we do every day. God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ. That's the message that we carry. But I love the second part of that because the second part is that He's called us to join Him in what He's doing. I think that's something that we too often forget because it's easy for us to say, well, that's, for, that's like for the, the church professionals, isn't it? I mean, isn't that, like, isn't that the pastors and missionaries? They're the few, the proud, the strong, you know, the Marine Corps of the church. And they're the ones to do it. And, and the reality is, is what we're seeing in so many places, at least in Africa, is that some of the most effective church planting, discipleship, evangelism is not taking place because theologically seminary trained pastors are doing it. It's because God is stirring in the hearts of a generation of godly men and women who are leaders and they are just hungry for the kinds of training and equipping them to be able to live out their faith. And there's opportunities today for just common ordinary folk like, like are in your church to be able to go to places like Africa on short-term trips and to be able to invest your lives to do the kind of training, equipping, and encouraging. He's called us to join Him in His work in the world. And when you do, you'll never be the same. I, I have to tell you, um, Becky and I were on our very first team from Hillside Church in San Jose. Um, now this was wow, 19 years ago, 18 or 19 years ago. We sent a team to Tanzania and East Africa because our church was really wrestling with wanting to do a partnership there. And so we sent a team as an investigative team and we went and we began to see the opportunities among an unreached people group. And we committed as a church to what ended up being an eight-year partnership. We had over 60 of our people on the ground in East Africa. And my friends, it changed our church and it changed me. I began to have the opportunity to train, to train Sudanese refugees and young pastors from Tanzania. And God began to grip and, and just He began to just stir in my heart in amazing ways. And I, Becky and I were never the same as were a number of people in our congregation. In fact, what, what really is quite unique is that out of that eight-year window of time, God has called four families from that church full-time into ministry in Africa and North Africa as a result of that partnership. And at the same time, it opened up a whole ministry to Hispanic and Southeast Asian immigrants in our own community. And we saw God grow both of them at the same time. And so many people came to Christ. So much was changed in people's hearts. He's called us to join Him in what He's doing around the world. And we have the opportunity to join Him in, in, in like reaching the unreached. I've talked a bit with Jonathan. I've talked a bit with, with, uh, with Pastor Dale as well about just the opportunity to develop a partnership between Seacoast and our REACH Global staff that are working among unreached people groups in coastal Tanzania. And what you may not know is that some of the least reached people in all of Africa 
are South Asian. And the opportunity for people from your congregation to step into the ministry to say, we can come along to see people come to Christ, disciples and churches planted among some of the least reached people in all of the world. That's the opportunity that's here for us today. Or, or to be involved in, in equipping a generation of leaders. Becky and I had so much fun dealing with you and Becky in, 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 uh, in Congo. It was a delightful time. And, and out of that time, we're seeing, in fact, what God has done is He's opened a door for a network of 75 denominations in Congo that have said, would you help us equip leaders in our country for the church? Because we want to establish children's ministries that will touch 20 million children in the next 10 years. We want to be involved in planting churches among unreached people. We want to be involved in seeing leaders raised up for the church that can bring the transformational work of the Gospel. Could you help us? And to be able to have Pastor Dale and Becky with us. And then I, you went from there to, to Tanzania and Rwanda and are involved training leaders. And the key thing is the, we have the opportunity to come alongside and equip a generation of leaders not to do for them what God's calling them to do, but to equip them to do what God's called them to do. To really develop, empower, and release them in ministry. And it's also investing in the lives of of true movement leaders. You want to find out a little bit more about this man that's in the picture? Talk to Pastor Dale sometime about Richard. Richard is one of the most... Uh, how can the word that I... It's hard to even put words to him because he has such a big heart for the Gospel and such a big heart for the unreached and a big heart for multiplying the work of the Kingdom of God. And the opportunity to invest in his life as he invests in dozens of other people's lives who invest in dozens of other people's lives and the ripple effect of what we're doing and what your church is involved doing is huge. I want to end with this and I'd encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Because some people have asked me when I, I left the church in San Jose and took this role in Africa and Becky and I have traveled to places and that most people don't go to and eating foods most people don't eat and seeing God do things most people don't see God do. But some people have asked me, so what's the ultimate reason for why you do what you do? And I always bring them back to Revelation chapter 5. Because in Revelation 5 is this amazing picture of the throne room of heaven. And God is sitting on the throne holding a scroll. And if you read in there, a mighty angel proclaims with a loud voice, who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one is found who can do it. And John begins to weep. And then the angel comes to him and says, stop weeping. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And there he saw coming toward him and toward the throne a lamb standing as though it had been slain. We're in verse 6. With seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp 
and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then they all begin to sing. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign on the earth. And then he looked and and he heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands and they're crying out worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing you see why we do what we do friends is because it's God's mission from beginning to end to be able to redeem a people for himself and and God has a huge heart for all of the nations and people groups of the world, not the geopolitical ones, but the the people groups of the world. And he has this huge heart to see people from every tribe, language, people, and nation being in heaven with him forever. And why we do what we do is because we want to be able to be in his presence forever with the people he loves so much from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. I tell the African folks when I'm with them, I said, could you do me a favor? Could you save a spot for me in the Africa section of heaven? You guys really know how to worship, and I'd love to come and hang out with you. That's why I do what I do. And I leave you with this. It's fairly simple. So what's God asking you to do? to bring the good news of transformation of the gospel into the broken world we live in. Right here and in Africa. Father, I ask now that You would take in a very dynamic and powerful way Your Word from Your Spirit's ministry to speak into the hearts of my friends. Because it is Your, it, it is your work from beginning to end. You have a huge heart for the nations. You're, you're reconciling people to yourself in Christ and, and you've asked us to be your ambassadors and to be a part of it. Would you show these dear folks the part you want them to play to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.